guys, just up top, I am so excited to tell you that my book is finally available! Yay! Um, it is available in many stores including Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, Booktopia and Apple iBooks store. You can get it in paperback and in the ebook version and it's still being distributed to other bookstores so if there is a bookstore that's like your favorite, your go-to, um, maybe within two weeks it will be there and if not you can always contact them and let them know that you want to order it in and they can do that for you. So I really really hope you enjoy the book as much as you enjoy the podcast. Just a heads up though, this podcast was actually recorded two weeks ago so we did talk about how it was still in the proofing stages and that's true for the time but it's not true for now, it is definitely available. So if you want to support me and read along with the chapters as you listen to the episodes, go grab yourself a copy of the book and I really hope you like it. So let's get into the episode. Hello and welcome to episode four of How to Conserve Conservationists and this episode is based on chapter four which is taking the you out of failure. I'm Jesse, and I'm here with Todd. Does that leave you with fail-er? Fail-er. That, that could have been the chapter title, but I don't know if that would have made sense to people. They'll be like, where's the you? <laughs> There's no you in failure. No, I don't know. So just trust this. Sounds isn't. like a new app to download. <laughs> if you buy the book, you'll realize that my chapter titles are actually freaking weird. They're very weird. As we go on in the podcast, you will see that... I've like, seen the table contents and it doesn't look like <laughs> it belongs in a book. <laughs> but I think like that's the Jesse Flair. Like I just wanted <laughs> to have like some creative freedom with my chapter titles. Like, Don't you ever read a book and you're like, oh, what a boring chapter. That will not happen with me. Well, how often do you get to write a book and like now you can decide what a chapter should be? Yeah. It's yours. You can make it whatever you want. So some that Todd's like... From reading the chapter title, I would not know what the content of this book is. <laughs> it does make me difficult to keep track of what each one, each one is about. But I guess because I ramble a lot in the book and talk about personal stories, if I get off topic, it's like a bit ambiguous what the topic was. So it's kind of a fail safe. Yeah. I'm just full of life hacks. If you're not sure about something, just be ambiguous and it will be fine. Nobody can hold it against you. But anyway... Today we are talking about failure because like the reason I did a whole chapter about failure is because the conservation industry is so tight on resources, so tight on funding, it's very, very competitive. I feel like there's not a lot of room to fail. I thought it was because you went to a failure conference and came back very excited with whole new concepts about what failure is. I didn't go to a failure conference. I was asked to speak on a panel at a, at a failure conference. I mean, that was, that's, uh, it wasn't that says a, something. It wasn't a conference about failure. It was like one panel session on failure. Okay, okay. Yeah, it was like how to fail effectively or something. <laughs> it was good. Anyway, um, I think the community knows about this obsession with failure now because I created a failure wall um, where... These are the tidbits that you picked up. Yeah, I was so excited to find out that there was this person in a corporate like office and they had a failure wall so people could showcase their failures and learn from each other. Like, I think that doesn't happen in conservation a lot. If everybody's only talking about their success stories, how are we learning from each other's failures? And does that mean we keep making the same mistake over and over and over again? Like, for me, it's so constructive to talk about failures. It's so important to talk about failures because I 
as I mentioned in the last episode, I learn from failures. Like that is my prime method of learning. It is not from studying. It is not from doing. It is from failing. <laughs> so I feel like as a community, what I love about the failure war as well is that people from like upper management have written on there how they failed. And I think that's important for me because I think when you're in early in your career, you think, oh, I'm shit and I'm failing because I'm young and inexperienced. It's important to note that you keep failing your whole life. And you're not a bad person for failing. Like I am on team make failure destigmatized and make it celebrated because the more we talk about failures, the more we learn from them, the more we can achieve better things because we're aware of what could go wrong and how to mitigate that for next time. It's sort of the counter to perfectionism. Yeah. Because that's usually like if you're in a job interview and they say, what's your biggest you know, weakness? I'm like, oh, I guess, I guess I'm just a perfectionist. And you know, it's meant to be spin as if that's really a positive thing about you. I don't think you. it's a positive thing, to be honest. I think perfectionism actually constrains a lot of people. It does. It makes you too scared to fail and you end up just being pa- paralyzed. Yeah, you don't do anything. I would rather fail at a billion things than just be perfect and not do anything. Literally a billion things. Well, it's funny because Lonely Conservationist came about because of 26 years of failing to get a conservation job. (laughs) Like this whole amazing organization, like this whole amazing community is founded on 26 years of me failing. You thought it was based on like your frustrations with the industry, but actually... It's you personally failing with the industry. If I had never failed so much to get (laughs) a secure job in the industry, I would not have this community. Like for me, the best things of my life have come out of failure. Like when I met Todd, I swore off men. I failed (laughs) and ended up getting with him. And now we're, we're engaged. Like failure is so like pivotal in the best things of my life. So I'm, I'm a little bit skeptical of this mindset because to me, I think really what you're doing is having the attitude of like, oh, well, there's probably a silver lining to this problem and just, you know, look on the bright side and, you know, if you, you know, you shouldn't glorify failure on its own as a good thing inherently. I think we should. If you remember back to the last episode where I told the story about um, the conservationists going into the village and saying, we need you to move out of the village because we want to protect your monkeys. And then they killed all the monkeys. I bet those conservationists would never have gone back to another village and, and d- <laughs> did that again. <laughs> like, why? Why did they know that, like, that's what happened? Like, why would you actively as a conservationist do something that ends up killing the last population of mangabees and then do that again to kill another population of monkeys like that's stupid so for me learning from that mistake learning from that failure because that is a failure you killed monkeys (laughs) (laughs) learning from that their blood is on your hands yeah like learning from that is important like for me like well that's what that's what i mean you still you're trying to take the positive out of the situation we we, what we learned is going up to native villages and telling them to bugger off it's not a winning strategy yeah you failed but you'll never do it again and hopefully because they published that in a paper that's nobody would do it again because what if they never talked about it and everyone's telling people to move out of their villages and all these monkeys are dying all over the world because they talked about like how would i know about this story if it was never talked about 
now I carry that with me for the rest of my life and it shaped how I see myself as a conservationist. I suppose that's sort of like the baseline level of the best you could get out of a failure is know that that exact thing is a bad idea. Yeah. And I think to you, know usually that, you might get even more out of it. So like I work on like a new project and I'll be like, Oh, I'm just going to, I'm going to make a Bluetooth gadget and I'll spend like a year on it and it never works out. Like I can't make it work super great. But I spent a year working on Bluetooth gadgets, and now I have a year of experience working on Bluetooth gadgets. Like, I learned a lot out of it. See? It wasn't a complete waste of time. Exactly. Even though the project itself was a failure. And you're so saying you, that, well, that, we what, shouldn't glorify failure, and yet you've learned a year about Bluetooth gadgets. But that's, that's what I love about your attitude, though, is, like, don't even take it, like, oh, you know, look on the bright side. You know, there were hidden good things that happened out of this even in a situation where a population of monkeys were murdered you're like this is a good thing because we can learn yeah learning is that that's a that was a bad idea because like when you're a kid you make so many mistakes and it's so normal like that's how you learn you learn not to like put your fingers on the stove was the (laughs) titanic sinking a good failure well has a titanic sunk ever since (laughs) i think boats have sunk i mean have they crashed into an iceberg in the same like now we know that (laughs) smaller in the top and bigger in the bottom did they even know that then i'm not sure (laughs) (laughs) people must have known about icebergs back then i remember as a kid i thought the titanic happened like 300 years ago for some reason (laughs) i don't think it was that long ago which made me very open to making fun of it because it's a funny mental image you know what really makes me mad is when i can predict a failure and then there's nothing i can do to mitigate it like when i was a kid my brother was gonna put two minute noodles in the microwave without any water and i knew it would burn the microwave down and nothing (laughs) i said to him would stop him from doing that. So he eventually put the dry noodles in the microwave and all of a sudden it like burnt to a black crisp. There was a little flame. And I was like, you could have burnt the whole house down. And I literally told you a thousand times, like begging you, please do not do this. But he had to do that to learn. You need to put water with the noodles. To well, that's what I mean. <laughs> How far can you take this attitude? Because there must be some merit to stopping and thinking about what you're going to do and what the potential outcomes are. But just say, like, these conservationists... And to be fair, if, you're, if you stop and plan and try to be a perfectionist and never make mistakes, you're going to be stuck in that planning stage forever. No, but, like, what if these conservationists if went to the village and they had thought about it? They're like, let's ask them to move. Let's give them a new camp. Like, let's fully furnish... Let's make the new camp better than their old camp. Let's. They really thought about it, and then they still killed the monkeys. Like, there's no mitigating that. Like, there's still with failure. You can think and plan as much as you want, but some things just still fail. <laughs> yeah, but there's also your brother just setting things on fire for the heck of it, and you know it's going to end bad. Yeah, well, I think he knows it's going to end bad. 
Well, is and that he does a, it anyway. Is that a failure of my communication, like not being effective enough, or is that a failure of his listening? There's a long series of failures in <laughs> that span of your job. I feel like if anyone has a brother, you will know that like they're a loophole. Like they're like you can't do anything about them. Like they're uncontrollable. They're just, especially younger brothers. They're just. Well, this is what I mean. The way you talk about failure is like everyone is adults. Every organization and company should just act like an eleven-year-old boy dicking around <laughs> no well this is what it's like i'm saying about the failure wall it's like just say i'm just not convinced by this mentality just say i was the person that killed all the monkeys and i write it on the wall nobody in that office is going to kill the monkeys again and then like you failed in your bluetooth so you put that on the wall every mistake you made in the code nobody's going to use that code the wrong one so i think like for me, talking about your mistakes and using them as learning opportunities is a really effective strategy in a business. But I feel my experience in conservation is, is that it's too resource poor, too time poor, too like money poor, that there is this expectation of perfectionism and I have not been allowed to make mistakes. Like it, mistake making is only able to be facilitated if the higher ups foster that culture of failure being positive Mm. like i can't come into a business and come in with this failure positive attitude as somebody in the lowest rung like that just won't fly (laughs) (laughs) and i know this because i've been in organization after organization after organization where i have been actively like i've had to quit my job because of how badly i was treated for failing yeah. I don't think we should like name names, spill the tea. <laughs> well, like to give an opposite situation, on LinkedIn I saw this post. It blew my mind. It actually like I could not believe it was true. Somebody had written, "I made a huge mistake in my organization. It was catastrophic." My boss talked to me and he pulled me aside and he's like, "You did this. This is how we're going to mitigate this. We're not going to do this again. In the future we're going to do this and this." My relationship wasn't tainted by this. We both went about our days. I didn't feel bad about myself for the rest of the day. We, we, we have normal like chats now. Like that, There was an isolated incident where it was mitigated and then everything else went back to normal. That has never happened with me before. Like I was <laughs> fantasizing over this. I wish what bosses... What if you just talked it out and yeah. said, okay, we'll do this from now on. Good to know. I wish bosses have done that because bosses have literally waited until there was nobody else in the office, relentlessly yelled at me, and when I have said, like, I am sorry, this is what I would do to mitigate it in the future, they, like, reprimand me for talking about the future when I made the mistake in the past. There's well, no- there, there might be practical things, like the, the mess has been made, you need to clean it up before no, you start like, there was nothing making more messes down the road. like... I talk about this story in the book, um, but basically, like, a boss had covered a shift for me. It was all above board. Like, I'd given advance notice because I was sick. And then um, Google actually had an address wrong, which sparked, like, I don't know. It was like some one person went to the wrong place. And apparently that was catastrophic. That was one person going to the wrong place because Google had an address wrong was enough to corner me in the office yell at me and basically she was saying like I have so much on my plate 
how dare you make me take this shift? How dare you make me work for you when she's the one who offered and it was all prearranged earlier? Like, well, there, there's layers of toxicity. That's just a, a personal problem and being a bit fed up with the whole situation and unloading it inappropriately. Like, very inappropriately. Like, <laughs> I could not sleep before I went to work every shift after that. Like, I was terrified to go to work. And I eventually had to quit that job because she was just so horrible to me in the way that she dealt with it. Nobody should be reprimanded, like, in an isolated space and just yelled at for, like, half an hour. It's not constructive. So would you say... I know you just want to rant about your old boss. (laughs) I do. Would you say uh, it's not so much turning failures into positives, but reframing how you and the organization respond to failure Mm, i guess that might be a more appropriate situation like i'm not saying celebrate the fact that i had led this person astray because that's the distinction i'm making for me like failing on its own like it would have been better if it succeeded Mm. like the fact that it failed is a bit of a downer no matter how you spin it but like you can spin it and say oh well we got this deal you know, the, the, the house didn't catch fire, you know, no monkeys died, you know, relatively, it's not too Every bad. Every time I make a mistake, I'm like, no monkeys are dead, it's not yeah. that bad. So, like, you know, you're doing better than those researchers? <laughs> I think it's like, if we learn how to communicate effectively about failure, we could be really progressive in the workplace and do a lot of amazing things. Like, just say I had made, um, I had made that mistake and she handled it in a in a good way and she was like oh hey jesse um i just wanted to let you know about something that happened um on the trip um you actually accidentally uh, i'm sure (laughs) gave the wrong address thankfully maybe maliciously gave the wrong address (laughs) thankfully like none of the volunteers were impacted it was just one staff member like so we're saved by the bill it was only one staff member we ended up sorting it out um, if this were to happen again, I would maybe ring up, I would maybe like... You might need to start double checking these addresses. Yeah, I'd maybe ring up the location and say, can I just confirm your address with you? Because it was, I was like, I've mentioned I'm from Adelaide. I moved to Melbourne. This was like the first months that I was living here. I would have no idea that this address could be wrong because I didn't know any suburb. It could have been an address for somewhere in Spain and you would have just happily (laughs) pasted it into the email. So like if I was copying it straight from Google, I just assumed it was correct. Um, I don't know. Usually, right? Yeah, usually it's right. It was just bad luck. Um, If I was like the boss, I would be like, that's so unfortunate that Google happened to be wrong that time. Um, Not to pass the bucket. Not to (laughs) place the blame. Yeah, like... I'm sorry this happened, but luckily only one staff member was affected. Like, because you're in a role where it's a lot of uh, engagement with the community, um, because we're doing this event, maybe just give the venue a call next time to see to see what their address is, just to confirm. And if they say, oh, that's weird, it should be on Google, just say, well, we've had an incident where it's been wrong in the past. So just clarify it with them. Um, that's all. Like, we had a really great time. I'm sorry you weren't there. Um because I did this shift, if you want to cover and let me have a day off um, anytime this month, it would be really appreciated. Um, enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Like, that could have been a great conversation that well, allowed me... me to tell your old boss. 
that would have been a great conversation that allowed me to know what to do next time. Maybe even build better relationships with the venues that we were going to because I would have called everyone and like had that conversation with them. Um, it would have made me like so excited to work in the in a space where I had a boss that I knew was going to support me and let me have sick days and like I would feel confident about and like excited about giving her some time off later as well like I knew she did a favor for me I would be really excited to take over and do a favor for her but I shouldn't have been not sleeping because of that incident like I shouldn't have been like that after the fact like yeah. it's all it's all fine now and for weeks afterwards I was just still holding it over you yeah like I even so I was like I feel horrible in this job I want to leave but there's a one event that I'm planning I know I'm going to blow it out of the park it's going to be amazing and it was amazing and there was people at this event that's like Jesse I donated extra money to this cause this um today this week because of you I'm really admiring the work that you're doing and she still was reprimanding me after after that event even though the volunteers had a great time we got extra donations explicitly because of the work I was doing so that was a time where I had to acknowledge nothing I can do is going to be successful in this space like sometimes it's not you that's a failure it's the environment like they say if a flower dies you fix the environment you don't try and fix the flower you don't start getting out sticky tape and trying to stay back up i mean i would <laughs> so i think like if we're able to have these constructive conversations in the workplace you could see like from how she handled it and how i would have handled it it sets two very different tones and like instead of me not sleeping and then i was so scared i was making even more mistakes in that job because i was so afraid of doing anything every little thing i did like I was afraid it was going to be wrong. I wasn't doing the proper work. Yeah. But so that's the whole attitude that you find super not useful. Yeah. Like if you're supportive of mistakes and like what one I staff guess, member went to the wrong place, what did this you? is where differences <laughs> might come. So like you're like supportive and celebrate mistakes and failures. And I would, I'm happy much more to be like, I'm tolerant of failures. I can, you know, accept that they happen. Yeah. Well, don't make too big a deal out of it that needs to be, but like, don't shoot for it. Yeah, obviously, don't shoot for it. But <laughs> if it does happen, I don't think we should. Can I give an example that's less personal to you, abstract, so yes. that you don't rant on about old bosses for too long? Sure. <laughs> Go for it. Uh, so, what you're saying is say someone's doing their final high school exams, and like, this exam is going to be you know changing their short-term future life like they will get into psychology where they need a 99.9 yeah particularly they don't they have to repeat the tertiary course yeah Yeah. so if you if they take that exam and fail it to me that's like it's irredeemably bad news (laughs) well this actually happened the way in that case the best case you can do is react to it better some people might fail high school and then spend the next three years on the couch watching cartoons, getting drunk. I'm not saying this from personal experience, <laughs> but like I could imagine a bit of a downward spiral after that. But if you had the attitude of failure, it's not the worst thing in the world. Like you don't don't compound the issue. Mm, don't add other stuff on top of it. Of it. Yeah. So this actually happened to my friend. She 
um, wanted to get into psychology. She ended up not getting in, taking, and she took a gap year between her undergrad and her master's because she didn't get into the master's program. She ended up working a practice, like just as entry level job, volunteering for that year, and that helped her get into the master's program the next year and she'd already had that experience so much of a gap year if you just start doing the job well i mean like there was a a year between like her undergrad and the master's so for the fact that she could get experience in the field and then go into her master's with that prior knowledge like that was a great way to handle that failure instead of just sitting on the couch eating doritos all day yeah as appealing as that is (laughs) Yeah, well, I'm like the kind of person that will never sit on the couch eating Doritos. Like in the first episode, Todd talked about like me sitting around twiddling my thumbs because I'm not getting paid to do anything. But realistically, <laughs> like I'm I'm doing science. I'm publishing a book. I'm making this podcast. I do all the social media for um, Lonely Conservationist. I edit and publish the book, uh, the blogs. Sorry, there's like so much I'm doing in the day that I physically it would be a failure to me. To relax and I think this is important so many conservationists think when they relax they are failing and there's this immense guilt associated with relaxation failure this has happened with uh, shark scientists who feel like if they stop swimming they drown oh my god I know that's a joke but like there was this shark scientist at my uni that everyone thought was so hot and so <laughs> nobody went to like any of the lectures they might look at it online but when he was presenting there would ever, it will be a packed lecture theater. Like be there in person. He actually made people come to the lectures. So he sounds he, like a great teacher. So I guess you're right. Like he he always made people keep swimming. <laughs> I just know it as a very often overused, very silly phrase that oh, the shark has to keep swimming or else it would die. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's like people sleep. Like <laughs> I think that's how everyone takes a break. I think that's how conservationists are. And actually, like the thing that was very appealing about Todd in the beginning is that I took a nap with him, and that I was like, <laughs> "Oh my god, I've re- I've rested this for is the an first time in years. Like my whole, I've never felt this rested before. Just sleeping, <laughs> forgot to. Yeah, and I was like, Todd equals rest. I just like got hooked on it. Like, cause I think like being with you meant that it was still doing something and it wasn't like I did, I couldn't not feel guilty about it or like I didn't feel guilty about it because being with you was like a productive thing. Like I was fostering this relationship, but it allowed me to rest for the first time with the illusion that it was still productive. And I think like, this is something I still battle with now. And like, I know a lot of conservationists battle with is like, they feel guilty for resting and then their rest isn't actually rest because it's just being guilty. Yeah. It's, it sounds like it would be a lot to do with like the, because they're so passionate and personally involved with it potentially. Yeah. Like if you're a accountant, you're not going to like go home and like, man, I just, Really love accounting. I'm gonna watch YouTube videos about accounting. I'm gonna. You, to be fair, you do that. You get paid to do a job every day, and then you come home and watch a video about penetration testing. Yeah. Which to everybody else, it's not like what you think. It's about penetration. <laughs> yeah. When everybody asks what you do, I'm like, oh, he's an official penetrator. <laughs> well, like, I guess a lot of conservationists have sort of clued in that if you are super passionate about it and you do it 
you know, outside of your day job and like make it your whole life, you do tend to be better than the average Joe in that industry. In the same... And that can be super useful. In the same vein, if I'm not get, getting paid, I don't have a set time. Like I'm not, I'm not on the clock from nine to five. Mm. I will wake up at six in the morning, post a... Some, like, I'll post this You're sort of podcast. your own boss, so you can make your own hours. Okay, like, there's sometimes, because of time differences, I meet with a, a lot of American and European scientists, so I'll get up for a meeting where I have to be at the meeting at 6am to meet them, because it's, like, normal time for them. <laughs> Before that meeting, I will post the blog of the day. And then after, I will work on some science. And then I'll, I'll be working from, like, 6am to, like, when Todd gets home at, like, 5. That's not normal and because i'm not on the clock like officially i'm not getting paid there's no set time for me to work and then it gets that's how people get so burnt out is because like when do we rest if i'm not resting i mean if i'm resting i'm wasting time or like everybody else around me is working why am i resting like the fact that you're at work every day making money makes me feel bad if I was to sit on the couch all day and eat Doritos. I would think I'm a failure then because I'm not like I'm not contributing financially to the household, but I feel like I'm contributing at least something to the world that's positive. Yeah. You know, helping <laughs> society by or you being a consumer paying taxes, I guess you're helping society. But then the thing is, like on the flip side of that, if we never rest, that's when our cells and like if our body is always on high alert our body can never rest and relax and produce like healthy cells. And that's when you get really horrible things like cancers and stuff happening because your body actually needs time to recuperate and to like just reset all the functions and make sure you're like mitosising and meiosising properly. <laughs> so People forget to do that. Yeah, I know. you got to mitosis effectively. And to mitosis effectively, you have to chill out. So, like, this week, after I press publish on the book, and um, it was, like, just the... Uh, Available in all good bookstores everywhere from a couple of months from now? Nah, I don't know. Like, a couple of weeks, I think. It won't be too long. Not long at all, in fact, because it's available now. Go get my book wherever you get your books. Yay! So, basically, like, the book, all I have to do left is I've been checking the how it looks in actual the book form. Like, I have to check the margins and if I like the page numbers. So it was kind of, like, easier stuff. Like, so this week I, like, finalized the book, sent it off, and I released a podcast. I really needed to stop. I really needed to be like, this was the end of an era. I've done some things. I need to just break. But my brain's like, i got to find a way to earn an income. i got to work on it. I've got to keep busy. But then there's one day I was just like, I, I came to my computer and I almost started crying. I was just like so overwhelmed and exhausted. And I was like, I'm going to the couch and I'm putting on the shittest TV show I can find. And this is productive because I'm going to reset my body. My cells are going to relax. I'm going to not get really sick. And then because I'm not working myself to sickness, which obviously in this time of the pandemic, you don't want to be sick because bad look. I'm letting myself rest. Then I can go into the next day with a fresh brain, clear plan, and everything. You need to consciously do that and, like, consider it as a thing on your to-do list, though. Because, like, 
Um, one of the lonely conservationists, Rachel, actually, who hosts the workshops for um, lonely conversationists, she convinced me to take a week off because with the pandemic, we've been stuck inside all year. Like Melbourne is the most like lockdown place ever. Like we literally have been stuck inside. We haven't been able to go on any holidays away from the weekend. We can't even go out to brunch. So <laughs> only other Melbourne people will understand <laughs> the price of that. Brunch is life here. Anyway, like a couple of months ago, she was like, just take a week off and just do nothing. In that week, I came up with the idea of the book because for the first time I'd let myself relax, think about like, what am I doing with my life? And I thought like, so over the past 22 months or however long it's been, I've had, I've done all this research. I've had all these experiences. I've talked to all these people, even just for myself, it would be beneficial to collate this information into a tangible thing even just as a resource for myself to look back on and it wasn't until I took that week off that I had the like foresight to do that so I think we shouldn't be feeling rest guilt I think this is a stigma we need a break okay like you're not failing for resting because my I've... final test of failure yeah you've written this book yeah back and forth edited it but checked it double checked it you get a early copy in the mail. Mm-hmm. You open it up. Oh, typo straight there. <laughs> typo. That's spelled your name wrong. Is would you celebrate that failure? Yeah, I think I'd have to for my own sanity. <laughs> because every time I look at the book, I notice something, and it's always something small, like not having a hyphen between the world and being. <laughs> We're pretty sure your name spelled correctly. Yeah, I even got told to double check my name because I was like, oh, the worst thing is if Do I, I know ass- my own name. If I assume it's spelled correctly and I don't look at it, what's the chances <laughs> that it's not spelled correctly? Um, so, like, I think having humility, like, I notice books, like, I'm reading a novel right now. It's fiction. It's like one of the first fiction books I've read in a while. And it says, Don't be silly. You don't find tigers in the rainforest. And I was like, are you kidding? Where else do you find tigers? Like, so from my perspective in Sumatra, like, that's where the tigers were. So even in books I read, I see mistakes or I see, like, non-facts, anti-facts, <laughs> false pieces of information. And I don't... That that one factor about tigers didn't dampen the rest of the book. It's still a really good book. So if I take that approach with my own work, like if people find one thing that's kind of wrong, hopefully that won't ruin the rest of the book. Like you'd be really pedantic to think that it will. You or anyone won't be reading it thinking that it's gospel, perfect word from God. (laughs) Yeah, and that's the thing. Like I have made such an effort to talk about... I do talk about my own science, but I. it's mostly like autobiographical like I'm just tell- like pulling my own stories and things that I've heard from people in my community so I've done that in a way to know like this may not apply to everybody like I cannot speak from all conservationists from like a mother to a person with a shotgun defending a rhino I cannot speak to all of their personal experiences I can just speak what has applied to me and what has resonated with my community so like, don't take what I say as, like, this is standard for everyone as well. Take it with a grain of salt. Like, this is just what I think. Jesse's thoughts. It could also be titled, but it's a worse name. I mean, that's most books, though, isn't it? <laughs> Here's what I think about this. Yeah. I mean, like, why do we keep thinking that books 
are so rigorous and like this is the standard for everything anyway that's not really about failure anymore <laughs> i guess i should ask you we, we we talked about a lot about what it's like in conservation in my experience in your field do you think failure is handled well is there like because there's more resources there's more money is failure handled better is there less perfectionism because there's more abundance in your field it's well like different workplaces have different sort of cultures about it so some places you know if you're some shiny uber startup company you know uber makes oh no we opened up in this in this new city and it turns out it's illegal we broke the law and we got fined half a million dollars like the person the person who did that isn't getting fired about that uber has an attitude of like well you know we're breaking new ground and you know abusing are you gonna women. get sued now Am I? For mentioning Uber and that they abuse women and that... Allegedly. Allegedly. The there are current ongoing court cases. Allegations. Allegations that... It's all alleged. Yes. But like, you know, the, <laughs> they don't see failure as a problem, almost to a detriment. <laughs> this is why maybe I'm so uh, skeptical of the notion. Mm. But uh, there's, yeah, certainly more like established organizations or they're very like prideful I'm trying to think of one. I guess like any like any government, if you're the, you know, minister for finance and you get the accounting numbers wrong, that's just gonna be doubly embarrassing. And it's gonna be in the newspapers and now like, oh, if you're on national T V and they're saying you're a minister of finance, how'd you get this number wrong? Mm. Doofus. I guess so like, always it's a really super simple anyone could make that failure. Yeah. This isn't a particular person I'm thinking of now, <laughs> so they can't sue me. But, like, everyone's human, everyone makes failure, but in that case, like, he's not allowed to. So you end up with a very perfectionist culture and everyone, like, ten times checks things. I guess that's the thing, like, so in conservation, perfectionism comes from a lack of resources, which is my opinion, I think perfectionism comes from a lack of abundance. Mm. Whereas in, like, the political climate... It's about, like, you don't want the Murdoch press coming at you saying that you, like, <laughs> you went to a brothel last night and now it's all over the news. Like, you have to not fail, otherwise it will destroy your reputation. Like, every job has a different pressure. If you're a surgeon, if you fail, you could kill somebody. Yeah, like, you know, a brain surgeon's going to be... A, it has to be perfectionist, doesn't it? Yeah, that's true. So, I guess, like, ev every, every workplace has a level of failure that they can tolerate. Yeah. So you, you reckon it's because of everyone's like scrapping for a bit of money and help and yeah. assets. But is it is it because like conservationists feel like the stakes are really high? Well, they are because the firstly, it's species conservation where it's like your population of whatever could be on the line. And especially if you've if you're got the shotgun and you're standing next to the last rhino. If that rhino dies, you feel a bit personal. Yeah, you, if you fail to do that, you're going to feel a bit shit. But also, like, this is what I experienced a lot when I was in my undergrad and I was traveling and working on volunteer projects overseas, is that a lot of wildlife rehabilitation programs don't rehabilitate or don't release their species because there's a high failure rate, and they know this. So if you spent years and years looking after, or for me, in my case, it was vervet monkeys... If there's vervet monkeys that are there now when I was there in 2012 and so the people 
are not releasing the animals because they know it's a high failure rate and they've become attached to these animals knowing that if they release them there's a high chance they will die so there's also like conservation sometimes needs to have this risk like you still need to release animals like what is the they, they will just live the rest of their life in cages like i guess it's like a sacrificial population that survives that makes it worth it for the rest but like it really depends on the species and like where in the world you are how abundant the resources are what the predators are like what the political climate and the the people are like but yeah like there's other social factors that play into it as well like you fall in love with these animals you spend all this money caring for well i guess that's where like failure is a big deal if you've got you know the last 20 pandas in a cage and they're like well you know we could try releasing them into this forest but you know we're pretty sure they won't last without us because they're pandas and they're pretty useless Mm. I've, i've seen videos of baby pandas and they don't seem i don't think they can make it there's a lot of people so if if they release them and then they die and now there's no more pandas in the world that's like you know pretty colossal failure it is has no upside because it's interesting you choose pandas because a lot of people argue that evolutionarily should pandas even exist now they only (laughs) ovulate for like an hour a year they they're just like the koalas of the ground. In My assessment that they're useless was actually pretty accurate. Yeah, like kakapos, like a, um, a ground-dwelling bird in New Zealand, and pandas are two species that I'm not really sure should, like, their evolutionary value. I think you told me, like, feral cats will kill a lot of uh, birds that nest on the ground. And yeah. my immediate reaction was, well, if they're nesting on the ground, like, they're asking for trouble. Well, cats shouldn't be in Australia. Like, we shouldn't have any <laughs> placental mammals here. So you start it, getting into a... It's not the bird's fault, it's the cat's fault for being here. Like, that's when you can draw the line. But what well, needs other a panda? Birds realize, yeah, okay, for pandas, <laughs> yeah, like, it's, it's a legitimate, tricky question. Yeah. At the very least. But, like, I think... Because they're such a aesthetic species and they're like the logo of WWF, if they were to go extinct, it would be a huge symbol for conservation as a whole. Like, not just them as... Because species go extinct all the time. And mm. more recently than ever, since climate change, fires, like natural disasters, human impacts, obviously, like species are constantly going extinct. It's just if a very well-known aesthetic like popular animal goes extinct it will have more of a backlash like if you let the pandas die it's going to be way worse than if you let a weird species of snail die well i could picture if you had pandas only could survive now in captivity there's only 20 of them left say i don't know what the actual situation is for pandas i assume it's about about this dire um like for me normies and like the public of the world if we saw in the newspaper, oh, the pandas have died out, we'd be like, oh, no. But if they... Like, they have died out in the wild, but they're just still in cages. That's not really newsworthy, and that doesn't really catch a normal person's attention, but that's almost just as sad. Yeah, if there's no wild animals left. Yeah. Yeah. What's interesting, though, is that in conservation, we sometimes have to talk about the bad stuff and focus on the bad stuff because that's what brings people's empathy in. Like, for instance, some people are not allowed to talk about... Well, okay, here's one. You're not allowed to publish when there's baby rhinos or when rhino populations are increasing or anything about rhinos because as soon as you do, 
a poacher will come and poach that last rhino. So you're never going to get good news stories about I, rhinos. I heard there's rhinos around here. Yeah, you'll never hear that good news. And also, like, a lot of people... This is way before conservation optimism and this new wave of, like, positive messaging, but it was, like, a lot of people thought that the only way you could get people to donate or to care was to only tell them the doom and gloom. So it meant, like, we're constantly speaking about doom and gloom. I need a picture of, like, a little baby seal covered in oil that's yeah. on fire with like <laughs> it's, it's mother crying so what is to that get my wallet open like if we're only surrounded by doom and gloom then we think there's only failures happening in the industry because we're not allowed to talk about the good things and celebrate the wins that we do have so there's kind of that perspective as well yeah i know from my, from my somewhat outsider's experience like if i think of conservationists globally they appear to be failing like is that your your broad outlook on well, conservation? Just because I've heard more and more species are going extinct. And like, this this was a concept I wanted to bring up, but it's a bit late now, of like, conservationists, you know, 10,000 species go extinct a year, probably. I don't, and, you know, that's a failure of the conservationists, but like, it was not really up to them. It was because, you know blah blah forest got chopped down it was because of the other humans some poacher did this and now you know but they they have to take it as a personal failure yeah this is the hard thing it's like just say every human on the planet you give it your all you spend stressed out 20 hours a day trying to save the species and they die anyway can you imagine you have personally protected the last little sea turtle (laughs) <laughs> like to the beach and your arms around it blocking off all the birds nothing's gonna get the sea turtle it finally makes it to the ocean and a big shark comes and it's like and yeah. like eats it like that's sometimes how that's what i'm picturing <laughs> in like a cartoonish sense yeah but like sometimes it's like you spend your life trying to save just say if i was like you're tearing up oh, i'm just so sad about that sea turtle <laughs> just say if like i'm an ornithologist and I'm like, I don't, really know, I don't know what that a is. Bird scientist. Okay. Basically, I kind of am. Thank you for using the dumb dumb words. <laughs> um, if you want some bird content, head over to my personal Instagram page, Ecologist. Some people don't understand that that's what the URL is. They're like, Ecogest. I'm like, it's just Ecologist with I my name. I couldn't spell it. it if you asked me to. Anyway, um, <laughs> just say if I'm a bird scientist and I um, like. I'm on this island, there's albatross everywhere, and I am spending all day dissecting albatross and picking plastic out of their stomach. You get home and... What, what a job, first of all. You get home and your friend comes over and gets like a, a six-pack of beer and just chucks the like the the rings... Yeah, the little plastic. Like, just out into yeah. the gutter. And you're like, what the hell? Like, I have spent all day cutting plastic out of an albatross and I come home and you just carelessly like chuck it out the window like i think it's that kind of you're so invested in in saving something and then people don't even think about it like it's just they, it's so not on their radar they would never consider this plastic ring to have anything to do with the fate of the albatross yeah yeah so i, I guess like similarly to the episode where we talk about killing ducks like it's not our fault that the ducks are dying it's not our fault the albatross are dying we are doing whatever we can to save the ducks and the albatross. Like, ornithologists, carrying, carrying everyone. <laughs> like, thank you, ornithologists. 
But like, what do they study? But I just oh, said right. that. I, Listen, use <laughs> the dumb dumb words, please. Okay. We use spider scientists last yes. episode. Now we're using the bird scientists. Yes, the bird scientists are doing like they're they're putting the effort in trying to save the birds. Like if the birds die, that's not on them. Like they they didn't kill the birds. Do you do you worry that they do take it personally? Of course, we all take it personally. Well, this is. This is what I mean. <laughs> but, okay, it's interesting. I think, like, before we end the There's podcast... Your, your technique of, like, oh, just look at the silver lining. Oh, you know, it's probably... It wasn't a waste, complete waste of time. It sort of falls flat if... Well, that's not the conservationist failing. It's, like, the system, the society. <laughs> but I think before we end the podcast, I just need to mention something so interesting. Is When I was really focused on failure, I asked my community in a, like, Instagram slide, I was like... How have you failed? Let's celebrate it. I want to celebrate your failures. Like how we started this conversation, I was pumped to celebrate failures. None of us are killing monkeys. What are we doing? Everybody, what they said that they had failed on, to me, wasn't even a failure. I was like, you poor little munchkins. I didn't, I didn't tie my shoes up well enough this morning that uh, I had to retie them at lunch. Oh, it really, was like, really screwed the pooch on the today. I didn't get an opportunity to travel abroad because of COVID. How have you failed? You haven't failed because... Well, you... this, this is what I was talking about. They've taken it very personally, yeah. stuff that's completely outside of their control. I just want to give them a hug because if, <laughs> if they think that a global pandemic is them personally failing... What else are they dealing with? Like every day must be so daunting and everything must seem like a failure to them. That the global pandemic stopping you from doing your masters abroad is not a reflection on your capabilities, your knowledge, anything to do with you. You have not failed because of that. Sure, your plans have been um, like postponed, prolonged. Your plans may have failed. You have not failed as a person. And I think that's super important to mention that you, it's important to think about firstly going back to my shitty boss is my failure a reflection of my abilities or somebody else's perception of me is my failure a reflection of me as a person and my abilities or the current global climate is it to do with me like giving as much as I can like those albatross people they're, they're trying so hard to save the albatross and then somebody chucks a plastic ring, that's not them failing. They are trying as hard as they can. If that, if the whole population of albatross dies, that is not on them. So I think it's important, like, I guess in conclusion, to think about like the environment you're in and if it's actually you failing or not. Like, if it's the world going to shit, it's not you failing. And if it's like you trying as hard as you can, it's not you failing. So uh, look on the bright side, and if you can, pass on blame to something else. <laughs> <laughs> no, not pass on the blame. Just, if you have a failure, put it on the failure wall, and let me and Todd celebrate it. Okay. I think with every failure on the failure wall, an albatross is born. It's fact. So <laughs> if you guys have failed properly, this has nothing to do with the world, nothing to do with what other people think of you. If you have personally failed at something... Put it on the failure wall and let us celebrate you. You can access the failure wall through the website www.lonelyconservationist.com. Add your failures. I've added my failure. I hope it's all anonymous. Nobody knows which one's my failure. No one will know which one's your failure. It's just us as anonymous people celebrating failures and learning from them. Well, maybe by the context, I could tell. 
Well, what, I've, what you, I've not talked about my failure. I did write it in the book. Have so you got a few posts, failures on the wall? I put one post on the wall. Because I, I have a hard time thinking about when I've like actually failed. And this is not like an <laughs> egotism thing. It's like, what have I done that's gone wrong that I haven't benefited from? That, like publicly that would be my reaction if someone said like yeah failure is great you know you i'm sure you fail all the time todd what's what's your biggest failure I'm like what no i don't fail i'm, I'm great at everything well, what it's because i have that positive outlook where it's like i didn't kill the monkeys everything's fine like i move on i learn it's like yeah what, what is actually a failure if i try something and it doesn't go to plan have i failed when like when you learned a year worth of bluetooth gadgets stuff like, did you think that you failed? It would have to be something as visceral as failing a test or exam yeah. for me to really consider it. Exactly. And think of it in terms of exactly. Failing. So, if you failed a test or exam, um, <laughs> not because I, again, if you studied really hard for it and you, you still surely failed, learned something, you learned something. Like, surely. you must have learned something. Anyway, what about that fractions test you did? Oh yeah, where you got. Four out of thirty. Four out of thirty. That was a failure. I'll put that on the wall. Nothing teacher, was accomplished there. My teacher just was so bad at teaching me maths because Here when I pass th- on the blame. This was primary school, right? I got four out of thirty in a fractions test. I go to high school. They put me in an advanced math. Can you believe <laughs> it? I cannot. It's, it's like the teaching style was different, and whatever, however they taught me in high school just clicked better. Yeah. Yeah. So sometimes again. Like, really similarly to the boss situation, sometimes it's not you that's failing, it's your environment that's not right for you. Like, Todd didn't do well in academia, but he's thriving outside of academia. I didn't do well in primary school maths. I did (laughs) great in high school maths. So I think, like, this is a good time to self-reflect on the times where you thought you failed and maybe, like, think about how you've learned from them, if they were actually a failure, and if it was just, you know... Another learning opportunity. Now I know fractions. So we've done 100% one over one of this podcast. A bit of a flex there. Just uh, look at me brag about my fraction knowledge. (laughs) So I think we came to the conclusion that none of us are really failures after all. So let's hold our head high and move confidently into the future together. If you want to hear more voices in the Lonely Conservationist community, head over to lonelyconservationist.com to read some of the blogs or maybe even submit your own. I would love you to do that. Um, We're always looking for new stories, new voices. Check us out on social media at Lonely Conservationist on Instagram and at Lonely Conserve on Twitter or even support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash lonelyconservationist. And lastly, remember to buy my book. You can get it at all bookstores. Um, If not now, then in the future there will be it will be available wherever you get your books um and let me know what you think if you do give it a chance um and give it a read make sure to rate and leave a comment so i don't know i can see what you thought and others can know if it's worth buying as well i guess um but thank you for listening and thank you for coming on this journey with me i will talk to you next week bye